This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, and strong sexual content, including explicit depictions of female-female sex. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 339. Hello, Metamorphs. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I am Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamorph City Story Universe. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you. I'll also tell you what's new with my writing endeavors. So let's get started with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 4 of Honor Tested by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 336 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Alex took Honor and Natasha up to the garden on the roof of Townsend Tower. While there, Honor impressed Alex by showing more knowledge of plants and horticulture than they had expected. Honor has picked up a lot of practical skills from helping the staff of House Bellevue as a child, a fact that sets her apart from city-bred ladies like Delphinia, who wouldn't have dirtied their hands working with the hired help. Alex observed that this practical knowledge would be helpful to her as a lady of the manor. Though this was intended as a compliment, the words struck a raw nerve with Honor, and Alex quickly drew out the reason why. Honor has been thinking hard about the bill for succession reform that Cousin Tyrrell mentioned, and what it would mean for her if the bill passes. Honor realized that she wants to do something meaningful with her life, something more important than just running a household. Alex urged her to act on this desire, to show her father that she can be a serious person taking on real responsibility. She could do that by joining the cause of succession reform and actively campaigning for it. That would show Lord Bellevue that Honor isn't just his little girl anymore, someone to be sheltered and protected. It might convince him to support the bill. And since Bellevue is one of the centrist houses, having his support could make a real difference on whether or not the bill passes. Alex can't join Honor in her efforts, because the work on the veterans' bill is taking all of their time and attention, but they promise to introduce Honor to their parents— who could connect her with the people who are leading the succession campaign. Honor readily agreed. The conversation sparked a moment of intimacy between Honor and Alex, and Alex gave Honor one chaste but tender kiss. Honor wanted very badly to continue the kissing, but Alex had already withdrawn and was leading her on to the next stop on their tour of the garden. Honor was confused and disheartened. As their time together stretched into the evening, Alex showed every sign of being delighted with Honor's company. But they did not try to kiss her again. Honor Tested 
The House of Bellevue, Book Two, by L. C. Williams, narrated by Vivian Ferrari. Chapter Four, Language Lessons. I don't understand. Honor sobbed, pressing her face into a pillow. Natasha resisted the urge to sigh. Honor had been building up to this for hours, ever since they'd bade good night to noble Alex. On the carriage ride home, she had been quiet, staring at her hands with an increasingly unsettled expression. While they dressed for dinner, Honor peppered Natasha with questions, casual at first, but growing in urgency. How did noble Alex seem to you? And after they kissed me, did you see their face? Did they look pleased? And, Natasha, you would tell me if I were a terrible kisser, wouldn't you? At the table with Lord Bellevue, she'd put on a bright smile and a cheery voice as she recounted the afternoon's events. But Natasha had heard the rising tension whenever she spoke of Alex. When her father waxed eloquent about the androgyne's virtues, Natasha saw Honor's fingers turn white where she gripped her knife and fork. In the washroom, as they dressed down and removed their makeup, Honor had stared long and hard at her own reflection. I can't see what the trouble might have been, she muttered, as she scrubbed away blush and foundation with more force than was strictly necessary. I think I did a fine job with my makeup. I'll admit the face itself might not be as lovely as theirs. Heavens, no, we don't all have an ancient curse shaping our bodies to physical perfection. But it's not as if I'm repulsive. In Honor's bedroom, Natasha quietly climbed into bed while Honor put away her amulet. The lady glared at the little butterfly like it had bitten her, before dropping it into the jewelry box and snapping the lid shut. She tossed the box into a dresser drawer, slammed it shut, put out the lights, and stalked over to sit on the opposite side of the bed. There she bowed her head for a long, silent moment, whether saying her bedtime prayers or just stewing in her anger and frustration, Natasha wasn't sure, then climbed under the covers and lay down on her side, facing the opposite wall. Natasha gave her a few minutes to cool down, then slid an arm gently around Honor's waist. You won that, she said gently. I am here. Anything you want, it is yours. It had been a poor choice of words, and Natasha realized it almost as soon as she'd said them. A few seconds after that, the tears had started. I thought they liked me, she moaned. I thought they invited me to their garden so we could... I don't know, something. Something more than one kiss, and barely a kiss at that. This prompted more tears. Natasha retrieved a handkerchief from the bedside table and pressed it into Honor's hand. She whispered, Thank you, then pressed it to her nose and blew loudly. Natasha sat up in bed, her back against the headboard. She turned on the bedside reading lamp so Honor could see where she was, then patted her own chest in invitation. Come here, little one. Honor rolled over and pressed herself against Natasha, pillowing her head against one breast. Natasha wrapped her arms around her and held her close, 
gently stroking her hair. Gradually, Honor's weeping subsided, until all that remained was the occasional sniffle. I guess they never really wanted me after all, she said miserably. They just want father's vote. That's all they care about. I do not think this is fair, Natasha said gently. I was watching their face. I think they like you very much. Then why didn't they want to kiss me again? Honor asked. I could understand not wanting to... to do too much on a first visit, but scarcely a peck on the lips. Perhaps they are shy, Natasha suggested. Honor snorted. <laughs> you saw them in front of father's dinner guests. Do you think they're shy? Natasha shrugged. Careful, then. Maybe they do not want to do too much, too fast, because you might be frightened, or something. Nobles have strange ideas about women and sex, I think. I don't want them to be careful, Honor complained. I want them to... to do what you did to me that first night. I liked being wanted and taken and... She seemed to struggle for the right word. You are submissive, Natasha said. You want them to be dominant. Yes, Honor said. Heavens, Natasha, we had that garden to ourselves. Just push me up against a wall and... She didn't finish the thought, but it was easy enough to imagine where her mind had gone. She let out a long sigh instead. Natasha traced a finger along the line of Honor's jaw. Would you like me to push you up against wall? She heard Honor's breath catch, felt her muscles tense where they touched Natasha's body. For a moment she seemed to consider it, but then she relaxed back into her. Not now, she said, letting out another sigh. I'm all out of sorts. I wouldn't be able to enjoy it. I'm sorry. Natasha kissed the top of her head. You do not need to apologize. What can I do to help you feel better? Honor was silent a while, apparently considering the question. Then she sat forward, out of Natasha's embrace, and turned around to face her. The expression on her face was serious. Anything I want? she asked again. Natasha nodded. That was deal. A faint smile appeared on Honor's lips. All right, then. Wait here. Honor climbed out of bed and hurried out of the room. She was gone for several minutes, and Natasha wondered what she had in mind. Was she looking for one of Natasha's toys? If she'd asked, Natasha could have told her where to find everything. But when Honor came back, she was carrying a book. There was a bright and mischievous light in her eyes as she handed it to Natasha. Natasha held it up in the light of the lamp, turned it to read the spine, and recognized it at once. It was A Life in the Clouds, the airship captain's memoir that she had been laughing at that morning. When I was a little girl, father used to read me bedtime stories, Honor said. She climbed back into bed and sat down where she had been before, her head against Natasha's breast. I want you to read to me. Natasha immediately felt self-conscious. Honor, I... My common is not so good. 
I do not know all the words. I will say them wrong. I... Honor raised a finger and pressed it against Natasha's lips. Anything I want, she reminded her. Natasha glared down at her. You know, for submissive, you are very good at torturing people. Honor giggled. Then she twisted around, pulled herself up the length of Natasha's torso, and kissed her. When they parted a moment later, she pressed her forehead against Natasha's, looking her in the eyes. I like your voice, she said, the words coming out low and husky. I like your accent. And if you do not know the words, I will teach them to you. A lady's companion should not be afraid to read aloud. Despite herself, Natasha smiled. She set down the book, took Honor's head in both hands, and kissed her again. You will make fancy girl of me, even if it kills me, she said. Honor grinned and stuck the tip of her tongue out between her teeth. I am sure no one has ever died from reading. You did not see it the way we do school in the Eshrad, Natasha said. Honor laughed at that, as Natasha had hoped she would. She seemed to be better than many of her countrymen at knowing when Natasha was joking. Well then, Honor said, tracing a finger over the book, I suppose you had better read to me about the Eshrad. She settled back in beside her, then craned her head up to look at Natasha expectantly. Surrendering to the inevitable, Natasha opened the book, turned back to the beginning of the chapter on the Eshrad, and began to read. It was not as difficult or embarrassing as she had feared. The airship captain's style was not as dense and flowery as many of the books in common that she had encountered, and it helped that she had read this chapter once before. When she found a word she did not know, she would sound it out. Honor would correct her pronunciation, if necessary, and then tell her what it meant. Natasha gained confidence as they went along, and soon they were laughing together at the captain's misadventures. Occasionally, Natasha would stop and interject her own commentary when the author got something wrong, or explain the context behind some custom or practice he found puzzling. Honor listened with apparent interest to these digressions, and sometimes her follow-up questions led them to depart from the text for a quarter hour or more. When they had finished the chapter, Natasha closed the book and laid it aside. She kissed the top of Honor's head again. Good bedtime story? she asked. It was lovely, Honor said. I'm so glad I had you here to read it to me. Your homeland sounds beautiful. It... the... It can be so, Natasha admitted. Her voice had gone a little rough, which surprised her. She couldn't remember the last time she'd felt emotional about home. I hope we can go there someday, Honor said. Together, so I can see it through your eyes. Natasha turned her around to face her again. I hope so as well, so I can see it through yours. You make everything seem... Brighter. Better. More beautiful. She smiled, a little shyly, and felt her cheeks turn warm. Even me. Honor blushed a little at that thought, too. She reached up and caressed Natasha's face, gazing at her tenderly with those bottomless blue eyes. She said nothing, but when her lips met Natasha's, 
there was a fervent passion behind them. She kissed her ardently, without hesitation or restraint, as if she wanted to burn away every trace of self-doubt and self-loathing that Natasha had inside her. Natasha returned the kiss eagerly, all too willing to be burned. When they parted, Honor met her eyes again, her pupils wide in the lamplight, her breathing hard. I think, she said, that I'm ready to enjoy that other thing now. A slow grin spread across Natasha's face. Whatever my lady wants, she said. Then she grabbed Honor by the waist and threw her onto her back, her head near the foot of the bed. Honor let out a squeak of surprise. Natasha rolled out of bed, grabbed the hem of Honor's nightgown, and walked toward the foot of the bed while pulling it up and off of her, as if she were stripping the sheets off a mattress. She did the same with Honor's chemise. By the time it hit the floor, Honor had wriggled out of her drawers as well. She sprawled naked on the bed, her arms dangling off the end, and craned her neck back to grin at Natasha. Natasha bent down, lifted Honor's head in one hand, and kissed her upside down. Honor moaned, her tongue thrusting eagerly inside Natasha's mouth. Natasha savored the kiss for a long moment, then dropped Honor's head back onto the mattress. She stripped quickly out of her own nightclothes, then looked down at Honor again, her hands on her hips. She scanned up and down Honor's body for a moment, silently taking measurements. Honor must have read the speculative look on her face. What is it? she asked, with a mingled air of curiosity and amusement. This may not work, Natasha admitted, but I want to try. In Landonois they call it soixante-neuf. Honor's brow knitted in confusion. They have numbers for... for sex acts. Natasha smirked. Just this one, I think. Honor still looked puzzled, but she nodded. All right. What do I do? This will soon be obvious, Natasha said. Move down, closer to middle of bed. Obligingly, Honor scooted down until she was more or less centered on the large mattress. Like this? Very good, Natasha said, and climbed onto the bed on her hands and knees. Honor watched, eyes wide, as Natasha moved carefully down the length of her inverted body, stopping when the folds of Honor's sex lay beneath her face. She reached out with both hands and ran her fingers up and down the swollen lips, spreading them open to reveal her clitoris. As she bent her head down to lap at the exposed bud, she arched her hips and back, until she felt her own pista brush the tip of Honor's nose. Oh! Honor cried, in sudden realization. Soissonneuf! Yes, of course! And without another word, she raised her mouth to Natasha's sex and set to work. The position was a little awkward, given that there was nearly a foot of difference in their heights. Natasha had to keep her back hunched to compensate, and after a while it was easier to rely on her fingers more than her mouth. The extra effort was worth it, however, for the simultaneous pleasure it offered. Honor moaned against her pista, the vibrations sending waves of pleasure through Natasha as she nibbled Honor's lips and probed her channel with strong and dexterous fingers. The tempo between them ramped up gradually, 
riding through one sweet, warming climax and into another, each wave of ecstasy triggering a hunger for more. Honor's moans became cries, which morphed into shrieks of delight. Natasha bucked her hips and ground her sex against Honor's face, muffling her cries and rubbing Honor's nose back and forth over her clit. At the same time, she thrust first two, then three fingers inside her lover, curling them to press against that hidden sweet spot on the anterior wall. Honor's third climax came in a rush of warm, tangy fluid that covered Natasha's hands and face, while she let out a howl that could have convinced anyone that the house was haunted. Honor had scarcely caught her breath when she grabbed Natasha's buttocks with both hands, latched her mouth over Natasha's clit, and sucked hard. She bobbed her head, waggled her nose, and pulsed her tongue against the sensitive nub, while her short fingernails bit into the flesh of Natasha's ass. The orgasm hit Natasha like a locomotive, and the guttural cry that tore from her throat sounded more bestial than human. Natasha's arms gave way beneath her, and she rolled off Honor and onto her back, panting hard. Honor crawled back up to the head of the bed, her own arms and legs trembling her body soaked with sweat. She nestled into the crook of Natasha's arm, half on top of her, and ran her fingers fondly through Natasha's hair. She kissed her, and Natasha tasted her own musk on Honor's lips. I am so lucky to have found you, Honor said, her voice soft, her tone reverent. Natasha smirked up at her. As I recall... I was the one who found you, in washroom, cutting up underwear, remember? Honor giggled, and the laugh turned into a sigh. <laughs> Goodness, it seems a lifetime ago. Can it really have been only two days? Natasha reached up and caressed her cheek. Much can happen in two days, she said dryly. Ask any soldier on leave. A twinge of worry ran through Honor's face at that. Her hand traced down the side of Natasha's neck and over her collarbone, coming to rest with the palm over her sternum. This isn't leave to you, is it? I hope you're not going to ship out and leave me behind, like the barmaids in your stories. Natasha felt a twinge of dismay. She hadn't meant to imply that at all, but words in common often seem to carry more layers of meaning than the obvious. Vieshin had its inferences and allusions, too, of course, but they didn't always show up in the same places. And the military life had trained Natasha toward a kind of blunt literalism that was ill-suited to her new profession. She reached up and covered Honor's hand with her own, and gave her a serious look that she hoped would be reassuring. I will be here for as long as you want me she said. I made promise to your father, and I make same promise to you. Honor's expression warmed then, and she turned her hand over to grip Natasha's. Good, she said softly. The room had gone chilly as the sweat cooled against their skin, and they took a minute to tuck themselves back under the covers. Natasha set the book on the nightstand. Miraculously, it had survived their escapades undamaged and turned out the reading lamp, then settled in behind Honor in Spoon's position. The warmth of their bare skin pressed together filled her with a deep contentment. She wrapped her arm around Honor's waist, and Honor covered it with one of her own. 
Within minutes, she felt her lady's body relax into the slow, even breathing of sleep. Soon thereafter, Natasha joined her. And that's the end of Chapter 4. Come back next time, when Honor encounters one of the side effects of Natasha's time in a vein. Chapters of the House of Bellevue will be released over 51 weeks, at a rate of one chapter per week. If you'd like to listen to it faster, all three books are available now on Amazon and Audible. To learn more about these characters and their world, please visit www.authorlcwilliams.com. Neil Gaiman said, Being a writer is a very peculiar sort of a job. It's always you versus a blank sheet of paper, or a blank screen. And quite often the blank piece of paper wins. So let's see how the battle went this week. Here's your weekly writing report. This update covers the week of July 23rd through July 29th. I wrote 4,333 words this week, over the course of six hours, for an average writing speed of 722 words per hour. I wrote on five out of seven days this week. This week I continued working on world-building and story-planning. I added more details to the geography and history of Fanchoir, and I now have brief descriptions of all the major regions of the continent. You can see those, along with the new continental map, at patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. They're visible to all patrons at the $3 level and higher. I also did some work on the future timeline of my main Metamore City story arc, which I've been calling The Last Prophecy. My fellow Metamore writer, Rix, asked me some thoughtful and thought-provoking questions, which helped me to work out a clearer picture of what's going to happen in the next book, and at the conclusion of the series. My thinking on this story has evolved a lot over the 20-plus years that I've been working on it, so it's helpful to go back and revisit old assumptions to see if they're still in alignment with where the story is gone as the books have been written. If you're a writer and you don't have someone to serve as a sounding board like this, I recommend you find one. It's enormously helpful. One thing I haven't worked on this month is the editing for Out of the Shadows. I need to buckle down and actually get this finished, so that I can get this story out to Vivian Ferrari to be recorded. I'm making this public so that you, my dear listeners, can hold me accountable. Feel free to poke me on the fans of Metamore City Forum or the Discord server, and ask how the editing is going. I'll probably be a little annoyed, but you'll be doing me a favor. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. 
Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.